All right, our final thoughts. We're wrapping up um, on Bible interpretation. And uh, I want to talk about how to treat difficult uh, passages. Who knows what Occam's razor is? Anybody know? Oh, yes. The simplest answer is often the correct answer. Okay. All right, uh, so that's Mr. Here we go. I think I have him here. That's Mr. William of Occam uh, in England. He was a monk. And... Um, he uh, said that um, basically, uh, I had his quote exactly here. Do I have it up there? No. Entities should not be multiplied without necessity. In other words, where you don't need to assume, don't. The more assumptions that you make, the less likely you are to be correct. Right? I'll, I'll give you a, uh, just I'll, um, illustrate this. If I assume something right, that's not known, I, I, it's a one and two shot. I could be right. I could be wrong. And this is just, this was, uh, well, I don't know what grade math it was. For me, this was 10th grade math. So I don't know uh, what it is now. So let's just suppose I have three assumptions to make, right? Um, what I do then, after my first assumption, I have another choice. I can be right or wrong the second time, which means I now have four possibilities. I could have been wrong the first time and wrong the second time, which makes me really wrong. Uh, and so, so those, now if I make a third assumption, right, this is the third assumption based on what's gone on previously. These are all my options. And so what you can see is there's only one way I could have been completely right. If I messed up the first time, I'm wrong, right? If I messed up the second time, I'm wrong. So uh, if I have to make three assumptions, I have a 12.5% chance of being right. Whereas if I make one assumption, I have a 50% shot. So the more assumptions you make, mathematically, you're less likely to be correct. So, so when we're dealing with Bible passages, we always make assumptions because we're never, there's, there's, I mean, there are some statements that are just, you don't have to assume it. They're black and white. We talked about that type of teaching. The direct statements of God are, I mean, just, just it says this, you know, and that's over. But the rest of it, we, there are things that we have to connect the dots. There are things that we have to interpret. So, Figure out which one you have to make the least assumption. It doesn't mean that you'll always be right because there's still a 50% chance you could be wrong. But you are just more likely. The, the more things you have to assume happen, um, then... Uh, and, and I'm going to illustrate this in a little bit. Uh, we're going to come back to something. Um, any thoughts on that? All right. Pretty, pretty straightforward. Simple math. Um, so, so just... Try not to assume too much. Uh, that, that gets us in a lot of trouble. Well, I assume that he did that. Uh, yes, <laughs> yes you have. <laughs> that, and then that gets us in a lot of trouble. Um, another thing one of my teachers told me uh, was to put it on a hook. You don't have to know everything. We don't have to know everything. And so put it on a hook. You might come back to it later and not even looking for it. The answer might come to you in reading something else. Like, ah! It might not be something you have to know right now. So don't be afraid to say, I don't know right now. Whether for yourself or for somebody else. I, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know the answer to it. Um, Proverbs 18.17. Uh, we're going to talk about motives in just a second. But Proverbs 18.17 says this, The one who states his case first seems correct. 
until the other one comes and cross-examines them, right? We, we make an assumption, we talk about assumptions, you make an assumption first, and that, you know, or you listen to somebody and they can make a really good case for something. And that sounds right, like, wow. And then you listen to somebody else, like, you know, that's a good point too. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so um, it's, it's okay to, um, and in all cases, even when you think you're correct, if, if, if you have made any assumptions, uh, then you're not, you can't be, by definition, if you've made an assumption, you can't know that you're correct, right? Even if only one. Even if you've got a 50-50 shot, there's still a 50-50 shot. You could be wrong. So don't make declarative statements if, you, if, it is an, if, it's a, uh, if it's based on an assumption. So, and I say that frequently. I'll, you'll hear me say things like, this is my current understanding, or this is my, you know, this is my interpretation of it, right? this is my opinion. Uh, and I, I try to be very clear when, when the direct statements aren't there or the dots don't directly line up. Um, so, so put it on a hook. And I know these are just kind of random. I want to talk about motive, and this is probably where I'm going to spend a good portion of my morning, because motive in interpretation, and, and a lot of what we're talking about is not just when we interpret, but when we're listening to people who have interpreted. And this helps us to um, kind of understand. You ever, you ever wondered why, not even in a Bible setting, but like, why do they think that? Why, why are they, they feel so strongly about this thing, right? It, it seems strange that this person would feel very strongly about this, you know. And then you start, you know, they call it follow the money, right? You know, oh, well, this person feels, and there's some kind of money thing attached to it. That's why they feel strongly about this. Well, the same works, the same principle works in this. It's like, you know, people will die on a hill and you're like, why is this so important to you? And you start following the motive, and you're like, ah, that's why. Um, so, so pay attention to people's arguments and, and see w what they benefit or see what, they, what thing that they're trying to uh, protect or, you know, in a doctrine. So as we're going we're gonna to look at a doctrine uh, that's been formed, um, in the last couple of hundred years, that's a combat to a, a, another doctrine, and and so and we're going to see some really bad um, uh, interpretation. When I was uh, on a canoe trip this summer, um, we were up in Minnesota, and um, <clears throat> we saw these ducks. There were there was a couple of baby ducks, and they were trying to fly over here, and then we saw way up ahead some more ducks that were they looked wounded or whatever. I'm like, what in the world is going on? And one of the guys in the canoe trip, he goes, look up. Well, there's two bald eagles circling up overhead. And so this duck over here was trying to distract from the baby ducks. Um, and so, so, so that's what a lot of times people's arguments will be it's try to get the attention away or try to protect from this thing over here. And, and, and so we have to form what we call a hedge uh, doctrine or, or something to protect um, from some perceived wrong. And, and, and people will create another doctrine that's just as bad or worse to protect from this thing over here. So I want to illustrate this. 
Um, and we'll do this with some scriptures. Matthew thirteen fifty-five. Um, says, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Now, this is a silly doctrine. We're just going to go through it because it really proves the point to me. It's one of the, a good example. It's not really major either way, uh, but it illustrates something. That, it, that What would you assume, what, or what things would you assume simply by reading this passage without any other verses or any other context? Well, no, I mean, okay, uh, so, so I'm not even talking about the setting of the, the, the text and what's going on in the event, but just from this verse. Mary and Joseph had other kids. There you go. Mary and Joseph had four kids. Their names were James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, because that's Jesus' brothers, right? If I've got brothers, my mother has children, or my father has children. One of the two. All right, so we're going to look at some assumptions that have been made, and we are going to see, we talked about Occam's razor, and we're going to see some really wild stuff, if that's the interpretation that you get from this. Uh, now, I want to re- uh, this is important to remember, uh, because this will actually come up. When children were listed, they were listed by order of birth. It's a respect thing. So, that, so Jesus is first, obviously, and then James and Joseph and Simon and Judas would be born in that order. James is the oldest in this. Yes? Would they, if, would they have sisters? There is a mention, not in this uh, passage, there's a similar passage somewhere that mentions he had sisters also. Yeah. It doesn't list the names, though. Because the names are, they always listed the male names. Yeah, the, the, and, yeah, and so, uh, I mean, they would list, there's lists of female names, and we're going to get to some that were at the cross, and they list names of, of women, but in this particular, I think it's a, one of the other Gospels. It might be this Gospel in a different place. Um, mentions sisters as well. Yeah, not just, I, I don't know. It might be even verse 56. I don't, I don't, I know, I just, I just, concordance, this was the verse I wanted to, to pull out. Is it? Okay. Yeah, so, okay, so there you have it. Um, but but I, I wanted to illustrate this verse uh, for a reason. So, uh, so we're going to talk about the brothers of Jesus. Well, now first to do that, we're going to talk about uh, James and Judas. Who are James and Judas? You know who James and Judas are? You should know James and Judas. Shorten up the name Jude. I mean Judas to Jude, and you get... Uh, Jude 1 and James 1. Who are they? Okay, so we have brothers. Now, Jude calls himself a brother of James, right? But James does not call himself a brother of Jesus, and that's done probably because you don't want to... You you don't want to be too... um, uh, What's the word? Braggadocious. So, so being humble, right? Like, like even John in his Gospels, he doesn't uh, he doesn't call himself he by his own name, name right? Yeah, he, yeah ex- there you go. You don't want to name drop, right? Uh, so, so being humble people, they they didn't. So he calls himself a servant, but it's clear that these are brothers. Um, so James and Judas are brothers, and I know you're wondering where I'm going to go, and it's, we're, we're going to we'll, we'll pull this all together. So, so the first thing is that 
they were brothers who wrote Bible books. Right? That makes them pretty important people. Uh, Acts chapter 12, verse 17. This is, By motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought them out of prison. Right, this is, uh, Paul is talking here. Uh, or, am I, no, it's Peter, excuse me. And he said to them, Tell these things to James and the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. So, so, uh, so who is James? So I want to read. Well, first let's uh, let's let's look at we'll, we'll we'll process of elimination. Read the same chapter. If someone has Acts 12, verse one and two, we can eliminate one James. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, brother of John, put to death with the sword. Okay, so. So we have a man leading the church in Jerusalem that can't possibly be James, the son of Zebedee, because at the beginning of the chapter, that James is killed. Later on in the chapter, when Peter comes back, there's a a James who seems to be leading the church in Jerusalem. The rest of the brethren are just kind of anonymous, but James, tell these things to James. So James is apparently an important person. So we can... Know that, well, if James is a high-profile person in the church, then likely his brother is also. Well, that would make sense if they're brothers of Jesus. That would be a high-profile person. Right? Just, by, just by nature, we connect. Wow, you're a brother of so-and-so. You're related. Uh, we're, we're talking about, <laughs> last night we had, uh, we had the Fiscus over, and you know her, the, the uh, forget which daughter it was, the younger one. Charlotte. Charlotte. She says, uh, who are you? No. <laughs> yeah. I'm the dad of Adelaide, right? Oh, okay. That places everything. You're related to Adelaide, and that's the important thing. So here's, uh, here's uh, Jude is going to be famous simply because he's related to James, and James famous because he's, they're related to Jesus, right? So, so they're high-profile people. You're still wondering where I'm going with this. So I want to talk about some major coincidences. And we'll, I'll put a graphic up here that will illustrate how funny this is. Acts chapter 1, verse 13. It says, When they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas, the brother of James. Some of your newer translations will say the son of James, and that is not true. He is the brother of James. Um, oh. That's interesting. So, so here's a major coincidence, is that there is also a pair of apostles. Here we have two brothers of Jesus named James and Judas, born in that order, who wrote books of the Bible. And over here we have a James and a Judas who are brothers and apostles. That's pretty coincidental. Now, they're sons of a guy named Alphaeus, right? And that's not Joseph. So that would make it difficult for them to be brothers, right? So that's a coincidence. So there's, we talked about making assumptions. So we're, we're, that's an assumption. We, what is Galatians chapter 1, verse 18 and 19? This is interesting. Um, he says, uh, this is Paul talking. He says, after three years, he's talking about after his conversion and he goes to Arabia and everything. He says, after... 
Three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas. By the way, that's Peter. It's um, an Aramaic name. It means the same thing. So names meant things. They didn't just look in the book of, Bi- you know, book of Bible names for your kids or whatever and, hey, uh, names meant things. So uh, Peter, of course, Petros means stone, and Cephas is Aramaic for a stone. So, so sometimes he's called Cephas, and sometimes he's called Peter. So he went up, I visited Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except who? James. Wait a minute. Let's back up here. Uh, when they entered, they went into the upper room and they were saying, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the brother of James. Now, wait a minute. Now we've got a problem, don't we? We've got an apostle that I, I don't know where he's at. So some people have us go, well, James must have become an apostle later. Problem being, I don't have a verse that says that. I only have a prophecy that says one person was added, and that was Matthias. So, hmm, we're getting some strange coincidences. So we have a high-profile apostle named James. That's interesting. We've already talked about a high-profile person who wrote the book of the Bible. Well, let's talk about Alpheus. Because he seems to be a kind of an important person in all this, doesn't he? Who's this Alpheus guy? Because we're, we're getting lost in Joseph and Alpheus, and this is kind of where things get interesting, if it hasn't been already. Um, well, we know that James and Judas were sons of an Alpheus from the list of, of apostles, right? Now, we're going to look at two scriptures which are the same reference written by two different people. And it's talking about at the cross, right? And it's talking about who was there at the cross. And there's a list of women. Uh, John 19.25 says, But standing by the cross were his mother, that's Mary. Uh, there's a bunch of people named Mary. So... If you can keep this straight. So his his mother, Mary, his mother's sister, Mary, is kind of a crazy family to name your kids the same names, but they're not probably actual sisters. It could have been his sister or her sister-in-law. So it might have been Joseph's sister, which would make them sisters. They just don't have all the fancy terminology that we do. Uh, Or it could have been a relative named Mary, and then Mary, so that sister's name was Mary, uh, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Well, here's what we need to know about Clopas. Uh, Clopas is like Cephas. It is the same name as Alpheus. It means to exchange or to change. So it is the Aramaic version of Alpheus. Well, that is interesting now, isn't it? Now, let's... I will draw a graphic because I know this is getting it's confusing to me too. Let's look at the same reference with Mark. Um, so we know that it's kinsman of Mary. This is what, how Mark describes these women. There were also women looking afar off. Among them was Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James... The last. Now, he, this one doesn't list Mary, the mother of Jesus. 
Mary the mother of James the less, meaning a comparison between two James. So Mary of Alphaeus, right, or Clopas, the same one, has children named James and Joseph. Well, I've heard those names before, haven't I? Those are brothers of Jesus, right? It's all confusing, isn't it? We're going to make this really simple. So, Alphaeus is the father of James and Joseph. Now, we're going to look at all of this and the coincidence it gets. And it's only a headache because the reason this is a headache is because we've made an assumption to begin with, with that passage in Matthew. And this is why I said the more assumptions you make, the worse things get. So, we began with the assumption that Mary gave birth to five kids, at least, plus five boys, plus women, girls. Jesus, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, in that order. Right? Well, we're going to talk about James and Joseph, because we just read about Alphaeus and all that. Right? Mary is also has a sister who's married to a man named Alphaeus. And he has James and Joseph. That's what we just read, right? Alphaeus was the father. Mary was the wife of an Alphaeus who had James and Joseph. So we have a, an amazing coincidence here that Jesus would have brothers and they just decided to start naming their kids the same names, the, the cousins, right? It, it, it is plausible. It's, it's, it is plausible. They all like the same names. But they're also born in the same order and named in the same order as each other. Like, you have a James. Oh, I'm going to have a James. I'm, I'm going to have a Joseph. Oh, I'm going to have a Joseph. Right? We're starting to multiply the assumptions, and it's starting to get a little thin. But let's add some coincidences, okay? Because <clears throat> we also have a separate Alpheus. Who's a father of apostles, right? This Alphaeus has a James and a Judas. Well, that's interesting because Jesus also has brothers named James and Judas. So, so, so that's weird. We have a lot of coincidences. We have, if, if we follow that first interpretation that we did from, from Matthew, we have to have two Alphaeuses, three James, and two Judas, all different people. All in the same small circle. And we still have a problem that one of the brothers of Jesus was called an apostle, and that's not in there anywhere. But let's simplify this, if we could. Occam's Razor says this. How about we simplify it? How about we simplify it? What if Mary didn't have all these boys. Well, it says they're brothers. Hold on to that, put a hook in that, and, uh, and we'll come back to that in just a second. And Mary had a sister-in-law, or something, and she was married to an Alphaeus, or Clopas. They had four children, two of whom became apostles. But what about this brothers thing? When I moved over to Ukraine... Everybody we met had really small families, one or two kids at the most. And yet, every time they would talk about, like I'd meet someone, they would talk about their sister or their brother, 
brother, brother, brother. I'm like, wow, these people have, must have large families. Then you'd go over to their house or something, and they're like, there's one, maybe two kids. I'm like, where's all the brothers? They don't have a word for cousin. They do. In Russian, they have, they have a word, but it's like, you can say second generation brothers. But they just short. <clears throat> they just shorten it up to brothers. You know that the Greek does not have a word at all for cousin. Not even a specified one. They have the word brother. Men and brethren. Right? Jesus had cousins. Named James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. They were referred to as brothers. They were son of an Alphaeus. Who was related to Mary. That makes them kinsmen. That's why they were brothers. Two of his children became apostles and wrote books of the Bible. Pretty simple. Not many assumptions. And this is what I want to get to. All of this we went through is for one reason. To talk about motives. When you see this, why? Why are we dying on this hill of assumptions? Because we're looking at it through our lens and our definition of family. There's also James the elder. And if he was an apostle, he would not have been called the elder. That's not true. Peter was called an elder. Peter called himself an elder. It's true. I think even if you, if you look at things like the, the Da Vinci Code, people like to make up stories to make things more complex than they really are. Okay. Because it makes it more fascinating. Yeah. Oh, yes. People love to know something that nobody else knows. Um, but why, why is it that for hundreds of years, until like the 17 or 1800s, no one made these assumptions. You can read Papias, who was a disciple of John. Papias gives out the history of the brothers and the family of, of If Jesus had brothers, what cannot be true? We have to look at a motive. Sarah can't remain a virgin. <sighs> the perpetual virginity of Mary. The Catholic doctrine that Mary stayed a virgin. I don't believe that's true. But, man, Matthew... makes it so easy if I can just go to that verse, pull it out, and karate chop a Catholic. <laughs> That's what we do. Pull out a verse. Boom. Dumb. Game over. And that's what we want to do. And people will do that even if it means taking a verse out of context. To prove something that's wrong, wrong. It's not necessary. All of those assumptions simply because we're afraid that the Catholics will have their... The Catholics are correct in terms of Mary not having... Now, I don't know about the sisters. They might have actually been sisters. I don't know that. They might have literally been sisters. The Bible doesn't tell me that, yay or nay. But it does give me enough details to know 
that James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas were sons of an Alphaeus, not a Joseph or Mary. And this is the funny thing. I want to talk, well, I want to talk about what is vital here in just a second. Um, what is vital? Know what is vital. We just went through all of that. So what? Ask yourself, so what? Here we are spending all this time and energy. I've wasted 20 minutes of your time, right? To go through something, here's a question for you. Because we, we're so afraid the Catholics could be right about something. What if she stayed a virgin the rest of her life? What if she did? What if the Catholics are right? So what? How does that affect me? Doesn't. But God forbid we let the Catholics be right about anything. At the cross, if Jesus had had real brothers, why did he say to John the Apostle, here is your mother, and to his mother, here is your son? I hate the song that we sing <laughs> because <laughs> I don't even know what it is. I like the rest of the song, but this is something about, I think we sung it the week before, or re very recently. Uh, you know, Jesus said to Mary, Behold your son, as though he's saying, Behold me. No, he's like, Behold your son. Because he was about to die, that means someone has to take care of women. He had no children. He actually had no right by their customary laws to give that to someone that was not a son. That would have been offensive to James, first, second, Joseph, Simon, third, and Judas, fourth to bypass all four of those and go to somebody who's not even related. Couldn't have done that. It would have been highly offensive. Uh, so, no, it meant that he had no brothers. Again, sisters, it doesn't figure in. That was not a part of their societal structure. Right, there's a lot of things we could pull into here. A ton of stuff. But all because of a very thing, uh, something that is very unimportant to all of us. Understand what is vital when we're interpreting. This is not that important. There are other hills to die on. I don't need to die on So what? What if Mary decided she did not want it? Maybe Joseph was an old, old guy, and he's like, well, whatever. I'm an old guy, I don't care anyway. What if? It is theoretically possible, and it affects me not one bit. It doesn't prove that nobody should get married. It doesn't prove anything else that they might teach. It doesn't... So no, understand what is vital. You know, spent a lot of time on that, I know. It's okay. That's the most important thing I wanted to get through, I think. Well, no, not, not the most important. Um, <clears throat> I want to ask... Some questions as we, our final thoughts here. How far do I go? This is a good question. When, we, when we're looking at interpretation, how long, how far out do I want to take this? Uh, and we, we're going to look at this in a, a couple of different ways. Um, how many of you know what that is? You've seen that before? Anybody read it before? make a very 
it's not a long book, but they make out of a very short verse. Okay. They really extend it. First Chronicles four, nine and ten. Someone want to read this? And then I will read you the Amazon description of this book. It's very funny. Four, nine, and ten. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I give birth to him in pain. Jabez cried out to, to the God of Israel, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep, it, keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. Okay, so this, uh, this is his prayer, Jabez's prayer. He talked about reading other people's mail. And um, so, so somebody uh, came up with a book based on this verse, verse 10. Here is the Amazon description. Discover how to release the miraculous power of God in your life. Taking you to an obscure corner of First Chronicles, Wilkinson introduces you to Jabez, whose audacious one-sentence prayer brought him extraordinary blessings and has changed thousands of believers' lives. See what God will do when you put it to work. 92 pages each, three books. 92, 180, no, 276 pages off of one verse. Pretty good. And here was I thinking... Um, about uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 9. I'm not sure if I have that up there. No, I don't. 2 Corinthians... Uh, someone read 2 Corinthians 12, 7 and 9. I'm wondering where the three-part, 92-page each book series is on this verse. 2 Corinthians what? 12, 7 through 9. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. I want to see the three-part series about how you can pray God's prayer to make things better and God tells you to stick it. Where is that series? Well, that's not, that's not really up our alley. It's the New Testament even. No, we go to an obscure part to find a sensational verse that we can make everyone have warm and fuzzies. So, where do we stop? How far do you want to go? Well, let's just go to the nice part. Let's not go all the way and and, and look at how all the verses should be applied to me. Just just the nice ones. So, so it's all about me. Uh, How far do I want to take that? Uh, Second one, how far do I want to go? It's figurative. It's figurative. Um, If we dismiss one thing as figurative with no significant reason to, we just assume it, then why not another? Where do you stop? How do you know how far to stop? Is there a standard? If if the days of creation were figurative days, right? those are just figurative days, meaning 
Well, the same verse, let's see. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Is that figurative? Maybe he didn't. It's just a figurative story. I mean, if the days that it took him to create it is figurative, maybe the fact that he created it at all is figurative. Maybe it's just a nice story. Is the flood real? Did that happen? Maybe that's just a nice story. Maybe Jonah. That's a that's a, Daniel in the lion's den. That's just a, I mean, that's just a story. The miracles of Jesus. That's just stories. Those are allegories. The death and resurrection of Jesus. Maybe that's just a story to teach us something. How far do you go? Once I start taking without reason something and just saying, well, that's probably figurative. How far do I go? What's the standard by which I determine that? Or do I just get to make it up as I go? Do I just get to say, I think that's figurative. What is the standard that I use? I have to have a standard. Otherwise, nothing can be thought of as literal or figurative. It's just whatever you want. Have a good reason. So I want to read Leviticus 19.28. Here's a, another question. You can't or you must. Right? We love prohibitions and requirements. Leviticus 19.28. Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Nope. Can't do that. That's what I was raised. What else do I know? What else do I know? A little context. Let's read a verse before and see what we got. Not cut your hair at the sides of your head or clip the edges off your beard. Okay, someone say round the corners of your head. We got a guy who's doubly wrong here. He's got a fade haircut. And that is no nose. You cannot cut. This is called rounding the head when you shave this portion. And that was done, we would have to read context, of course, pesky context. Um, that was a part of their morning rituals, and it had to do with giving power and all these weird pagan ideas. And that's why they were prohibited from, the Jews were prohibited in doing it, because it was connected with superstitions in paganism. Uh, you were not supposed to mar the corners of your beard or shape. So no goatees, no... None of that. How far do I go? You want to prohibit stuff? Prohibit stuff. Right? All of us should have heads. Women should have heads. That is correct. Uh, we can go as far as you want to go. Once you start down that road against, it is a never-ending road. We can always be against more stuff. How far do you want to go? And lastly, this is our final concluding question. How do, I, how do I want to stand before God when I get there? When I get there and God says, okay, this is what you taught, how do I want to stand before God? What I mean is this. I had a guy ask me at camp. He was a, a biology teacher. And he said, uh, what do you think about Genesis 1 and 2? Is it, is it literal? So let me tell you, answer it this way. And I was going to get into all the sciencey stuff, but I just decided to answer it this way. I was like, when I get to heaven, I can stand before God having made an assumption. I'm going to be right or wrong. Do 
Do I want to stand before God having given him too much credit or too little credit? Now, I might get there and he might say, oh, it was just an allegory. I'm like, well, when you said you did it in a day, I kind of thought you meant a day. I thought you were that powerful. And he's like, no, it was just an allegory. But if I do the other way, and I assume, and I'm wrong that way, I don't want to be wrong in front of God having given him too little credit. Or, you know, we talk, we've talked about leadership in the church. Andrew, you know, when, when we put in elders and deacons, um, why were there never women? Well, God, I was like, I thought that uh, that was kind of what you said. You know, husband and one wife kind of stood out to me. You know I wrote that during the first century, right? There was a cultural thing there. The, the upshot of that would be that, like, he's like, Andrew, you know, there's a lot of people that were very qualified to serve that you prevented from serving. And that's true. On the other hand, if we flip it and I'm wrong that way, then how do I stand before God? Well, God, I just thought it was a cultural thing, and I, I figured that we don't have those cultural things, hang-ups anymore, so I just thought that was kind of a suggestion or whatever. So, so, Andrew, let me get this straight. You thought the Holy Spirit couldn't predict the future and figure out how to write a Bible that would be pretty clear 2,000 years of what I wanted and didn't want? Yeah. Right, well, how do I want to stand before God? I might be wrong, but I want to be wrong giving God too much credit and not too little credit. 